HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni from uh, Good Beer Seal, and today is Tuesday, May 8th, 2018. We've got some great guests on the show today. Uh, we'll go around the room and introduce them. Uh, it was I- interesting. We got an inquiry from, uh, you know, Coney Allen Beer and wanted to talk about lactose beer, and I honestly didn't know anything about it, but I've been realized I've been drinking those beers for years. So uh, let's go around the room and everyone introduce themselves. Sure. My name is Sean Torres. I'm from Killsborough Brewing Company. Uh, my name is Matt McCall. I'm the head brewer at Coney Allen Brewery. I'm Jesse Ferguson, the uh, brewer and distiller at Interborough Spirits and Ales. Great. Big shout out to our, our hosts and sponsors here, Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick. And thank you to being on the Heritage Radio Network.org. So the title of the show is Getting Weird with Lactose Beers. And my subtitle is From Milk Stouts to Milkshake IPAs. And mm-hmm. it, it's, a not, it's interesting for me. You know, people have hazy IPAs and, and, and other beers. And you kind of wonder you know, what, what, what tricks brewers are doing. You know, as, as we kind of expand from craft into craft and other, you know, products to, to, to sell and get new styles, it's very interesting to me. So we're going to have an interesting conversation about that. Um, how about let's start by doing this. Each brewer actually say, you know, the names of and ingredients of a couple of the beers that, that they've made with lactose and uh, just kind of school me a little bit on that. Sean, why don't we start with you because we're drinking one of yours. Yeah, the, so the beer that we're drinking right now is the uh, Bippa, which is short for breakfast IPA. Um, I can get a little into the ingredients a bit and why it's a breakfast um, style beer. Um, we have lactose in it, of course. Obviously, it's the show. And we have um, Victory, no, no, Vienna Malt, Two Row, um, C60, uh, lactose, obviously, vanilla bean, and we threw in blood oranges since it was in season. Um, the flesh in the boil, and we threw the peel in the uh, secondary. So a lot of the lactose beers have some fruit in them as well? Yeah, it, I mean, it's uh, it's not always going to be the case, but I think uh, you know fruit pairs pretty well with, with lactose, and that that's usually the route a lot of people go. You know, and Matt, you, you guys at Coney Island actually reached out about doing a show, a, a lactose beer-themed show. Um, you know, just tell me more about it. I, I still don't quite understand everything that's in my beer. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, lactose beers are, are gaining a lot of traction right now uh, in the beer world uh, from, you know, kettle soured with lactose to, you know, um, the milk stouts, which go way back. You know, that's one of the original lactose beers, if not the original lactose beer. Um, so, you know, we were we were kind of piqued our interest with that. And, uh, you know, we kind of we, we made our beer from that. Great. And Jesse? Yeah, my experience really started with milk stouts at Carton. We had the Carton of Milk Stout, and we were doing lactose in that. And then that trans sort of uh, evolved into sort of cream ales where we we would add lactose. Um, And then uh, at Interboro now, I've just recently done about 
my first three beers with lactose. It's definitely, you know, it's trending, I would say, in 2018. There's especially, you know, fruited or just double IPAs with lactose um, as a way to enhance mouthfeel. Um, to some degree, I think it compensates for lack of bitterness um, to some, you know, for in terms of creating a beverage, it's still kind of balanced to a degree when you're so hoppy on the aroma um, and you've got a real thick, juicy mouthfeel that's contributed by a lot of lactose. All right, guys. Cheers. And Sean, so Sean, you poured us spear and, and Jesse nodded. Mm-hmm. Said it's he really good, it. yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we, uh, we tried to accentuate the, the orange character um, by adding the blood orange. Uh, the peel and dry hopping it with Citra and Mandarina Bavaria, which is really um, citrusy forward. So, um, you know, Jesse said a word that I agree with when brewing with lactose, and that's a, it's about balance. And I think that's why a lot of people add fruit to their beer um, because you don't want sometimes adding lactose can make it a little too sweet. And, you know, it works in stout so well because of that roasted malt. Um, helps pull back that sweetness a bit uh, with a little bit of astringency. But, um, but in IPAs, it's tough. Um, so, you know, with the fruit, addition it helps kind of even everything out and like the, the subtitle is you know from milk stouts to milkshake ipas i sound like some weird old guy but it, it is new to me i think for me i mean when you talk about a milk stout you know putting you can basically take like a dry irish recipe and and um because you know the other name for a milk stout in like english traditional brewing is just a sweet stout Mm-hmm. Um, so you're taking like a dry Irish or just whatever, dry, roasty, bitter stout and adding uh, lactose to it to increase the final gravity and give it more perception of sweetness. So the sweetness there cuts the bitterness from the roast malt because you need a lot of this burnt, you know, extra crispy burnt black malt in order to get these stouts as, as um as black as they are, as dark as they are. But really, you know, there's a misconception, I think, in the world about Stouts, everybody thinks stout's heavy beer. For the most part, you can make a stout with just black malt and English pale malt and have a pretty dry, easy-drinking beverage. Um, but if you add lactose to it, then suddenly you've got a lot more mouthfeel. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. A lot of people, uh, when they drink uh, sort of the, the higher ABV full-bodied beers in uh, the Craft House, which is attached to Killsboro, um, they're like, wow, this, this reminds me of a Guinness. Staten Island. You guys were yeah. on Staten Island. Yeah, so yeah, we're a 10-minute walk from the ferry. And um, they'll say, wow, this big, heavy beer, high ABV, tastes like a Guinness, whether it's a, a stout or just another high ABV beer, and have to remind them that actually Guinness is much lower than most American lagers. It's like 3.8%. Um, to that point, you know, the dry stout is such an easy-drinking beer. So lactose in a beer like that makes total sense. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of the times you see fruit with lactose so often is because fruit has a tendency to kind of dry out your beers. Um, further than they normally would go. So that, that lactose kind of adds a nice roundness to it. Um, a lot of people say sweetness. I, I like to say roundness just because it is a tiny bit sweet, but it gives you the perception of sweet without being cloying. Yeah. Yeah. I um, think also that when going to the, the point of the fruit is that the lactose, I mean, if you're putting a fruit pre-fermentation and you get the, the yeast dries out all the sugar that's in the fruit, you've already built a, a malt bill that's supposed to give you X, Y, Z amount of sugar in order to create your original gravity. You're putting the sugar or the, the fruit in there. The yeast dries out the sugar, but all of that tang and tartness of the fruit is still going to be retained by the flavor. So building up a more of a, a round or, you know, sort of sweet or mouthfeel around that is going to cut that tang and make that fruit a little easier on the palate, which gets compounded when people are doing lactobacillus fermentations to add sourness and then adding fruit to a base beer that's got lactose or else back sweetening um, in some way. So who are some of the, the craft breweries that, that were first using lactose to kind of like boost their beer? I know that Tired Hands uh, uses that a lot. Yeah, the Milkshake series, I think with Omnipolo was, I mean, you know, in terms of that whole sort of trend i feel like they were pro- as far as i'm as far as i know they were sort of first in, in terms of and i don't know when that was like three four years ago maybe yeah i think omnipolo kind of started the whole trend uh growing up right outside of philly tired hands was you know my first real exposure to it um and i think they do a really good job of, of balance with it um as balanced as you can be for a milkshake ipa but uh uh yeah it's it's really cool to see you know how the ipa kind of just morphs and blends as the years go by here um the lactose has been a big part of that matt you just poured us a beer what is this uh this and is we're gonna a, taste a lot of beers on this show a little more <laughs> than usual sure yeah this is a cinnamon toast kolsch um you know born in 
born and bred out of my own brain. Uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch was my favorite cereal as a kid, uh, to the point of obsession. And uh, in my adult years, going to brunch with my wife. You have it uh, with milk or without? Oh, with. I mean, <laughs> with milk, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, going out to brunch with my wife one day when we first moved to the city, um, you know, I was eating French toast and the only options were, you know, a mimosa or a Bloody Mary. And I was like, neither of those go with this. I want to drink a beer that is, you know, a little bit sweeter, but not too sweet and sessionable for, you know, kind of the, the morning, afternoon time. So that's where this was born from. Um, it's got uh, mostly Pilsner malt, Vienna, uh, and Biscuit is kind of the star of the show, uh, adds a nice crackery kind of cereal character to it. Uh, and then obviously the lactose kind of rounds it all out. So wow, so, I mean, most people think of like a, a milk stout, a stout being something that lactose would be in, but we've got IPAs and also now Kolsch. Sure. Um, are, are there any other styles that, that you guys are making with lactose? I know some people are making sour beers with lactose. Yeah, I think the other way is it was IPAs, and then the, and then I think that the sour IPAs are, are sort of the... You know, and I think that's similar to what Sean brought. And um, I mean, I don't know what else is. Well, he's yeah. made a lactose, a, a double dry hop lactose pilsner. Nobody's, nobody's <laughs> that, right? Hopefully, somebody does soon because I'd love to taste that. Um, yeah, I, 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 we also brought the Gimme Gimme uh, Pineapple Mango. It's, it's a lactose sour. Um, and a, a major driving force for us to add lactose to our sours is it cuts the tart just enough, uh, in addition to the fruit that we've added to it, um, where a lot of. Um, a lot of the our patrons that are used to drinking drier sours or funkier sours um, find it more approachable. So uh, the combination of fruit, pH, and lactose kind of creates this more easier, approachable style. And I also want to say this is really good. This culture, oh, thank I, I you. Do, yeah, I enjoy it. That's yeah, really good. I think you've nailed the uh, the the cinnamon toast and culture. I was. When I heard about it, I hadn't tasted it, and you get a little bit of the fruitiness from the Kolsch ester yeah. uh, that I find. Yeah, it still really tastes nice like beer, though. Yeah, which I, is nice. yeah. <laughs> I'm a traditionalist uh, at nature, so uh, you know, approaching this, I kind of wanted to make it uh, a Kolsch first and a novelty second, and I think uh, the balance is there. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you, you kind of play around with it enough to, to the point where you want it. Uh, luckily, we got it on the first try this time. So. <laughs> yeah, but how, how do you build the cinnamon toast flavor? Uh, honestly, I put uh, a buttload of cinnamon in the kettle, um, but the, the like Sticks I said, or powder? Uh, powder, powder, straight up powder. Yeah, um, bought at a stop and shop, uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it's all from the same fine place. Purveyor. Yeah, <laughs> there's only one spice dealer in the whole world. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> and uh, like I said before, the biscuit malt really is you know kind of the star of the show. Um, wanted that to be the focus, and then the cinnamon and the lactose to be second, and. Uh, just to make kind of a well-rounded beer. Now you just need to do like a a la mode and put vanilla in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a little ice cream float. Let's yeah. keep tasting the beers. Jesse, let's pop one of yours. Cause, um, so you, are you just new to, to making beers with lactose? Is that... No, I mean, I was, I was making beers with lactose. Well, regular coffee at, Car- yeah, at Carton. Carton yeah. and Car- like I said, Carton of Milk was lactose. Um, at, at Interboro, it was more... It was sort of more... Um, I think a little bit of reluctance to sort of jump in um, and also not totally um, familiarity with the double IPAs with lactose. Um, I did a brew with um, Finback called, uh, what was it called, Fat Mango. It was a a collaboration we did, um, which was mango. uh, Sticky rice. Well, it's mango sticky rice. Yeah. That was it. Was it was basil? Basil was like, let's <laughs> make a mango. Let's like a mango sticky rice beer, and so we did. Um, so you put rice in the mash too. Rice in the mash, condensed milk in the kettle, and then mango puree in the fermenter with lactose. And so, I you know I don't know. I'm I, I feel like I'm halfway between old school and new school, and so there's part of me that wanted to like stick to like you know sort of like hey let's not throw a ton of lactose in the beers just just in order to jump on. But at the same time, you know, you make a beer with somebody that you really like, and you're like, "All right, cool. Well, I like that beer. Let's let's see what we can do in our in our own workshop." So yeah, this is 108 mics. This was the this is the second beer we did with lactose. This beer was all sort of unintentionally lactose added because we had lactose left over from the the, <laughs> the, the yo play, and I was like, "Well, if we're gonna make a 10.8 percent imperial IPA, let's." You know, and let's throw. So some that's this in. is so it's ten point ten point eight percent. And again, it doesn't taste that strong. No, it doesn't. I I, I wouldn't have guessed that it was ten point eight. This will knock me out. I mean, okay, let's talk about so we got lactose. Like you know, some of the 
classic Belgian triples. Belgian beers that are like 10% made with candied sugar. Yeah, this definitely had other sugars added as well. So it was, you yeah. know, it was lactose plus dextrose plus glucose solids. I mean, you know, you're just sort of dumping. But can, can you in. think like yeah, doesn't um, like candied sugar and the classic Belgian strong beers and, and lactose? I mean, th- they're all kind of mimic each other. I mean, no, no, no. Candied no. sugar is gonna is gonna just dry a beer out completely. Like it, you know, when you're putting simple sugars in, whether it's candied sugar, dextrose, table sugar, whatever, just sucrose in any form. Yeast is just going to go to town on it and, and consume it all. And then and, you get and, the 10%. Yeah, that's how you bump the alcohol up. It but it's all like what it's it, So, like, we used to call it, I mean, who is it? Greg from Threes used to call it dextrose IPA mix because mm-hmm. it was like, all right, you know, you, it, it, helped you bring the, it, it helped you bring the gravity, the terminal gravity lower, right? So, if you were trying to go for a high alcohol beer and you wanted it to dry out more than if you just did pure malt, you add sugar, dextrose, fer- fermentable sugar, any kind. And you can get the alcohol and still finish where your terminal gravity might have been had you just done an eight percent beer versus a ten percent beer, which is what I would say all through like the, you know the last ten years up until sort of a couple years ago when people started wanting sweeter and sweeter beers, where IPAs were, and so your classic sort of West Coast IPA was definitely a dextrose. I mean, Pliny. Everybody used to talk about Pliny mm-hmm. as like the dextrose added in order to get the terminal gravity low enough, stay super dry. Um, Bitterness was higher then, right? Now bitterness is totally mellowed off. Hop aroma is the is what people are looking for, and so mouthfeel from sweetness is what's appealing to people. So that's how you end up, I think, in like a place where terminal gravity four five, which is probably two points higher than what most people are, were, would have been looking for in an IPA five years ago. But the aromas are off the chart, and then you're putting in fruit purees, whether it be pre or post fermentation, in order to uh, accentuate just fruit. I mean, you know, we talk about milkshake smoothie. I mean, the, the you know the what are the synonyms that people are using in order sure. to describe yeah. their sort of hoppy, sour, fruity beers, which yeah. is where we're cor- sort of at at this point, I think, in 2018. And so you're just sort of on some, to some degree, you're like, well, you know, this. People, like, I just came back from the Brewers Conference. Everybody's like, well, why is everybody making hazy beer? Why is everybody making hazy beer? People need to lay off the hazy beer. And it's like, well, we're not. We make it, but the consumers are driving it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you make it and people buy it. So if I made a 19 or, you know, 2005 Green Flash clone right now, it would probably sit on my tap room for six months, you know? So it's it's funny that you mention that, too. And because um, out of our most recent IPAs, the clearest IPA, move the slowest and you know people are looking for that that sort of again hazy juicy experience um but yeah okay guys hold on a second we're gonna take a short break i skipped my lost my meat but anyways we're back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio all right Co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio. Hey, we didn't take a long break at all, but I'm getting hammered on this 10% beer from uh, Mr. Matt Fat Fluid himself, Jesse Ferguson. And I was just—I want to say first, big shout out to this panel of uh, awesome brewers, um, Matt. You know, you're newer to the scene in New York at Coney Island. Sean worked his way up from home brewer to you know brewer now at a brewery on Staten Island, and, and Jesse, you know, from Carton to to Ferguson, <laughs> Maryland, no whatever. Um, I'm totally whacked on this. this. Is the secret killer? The 10 percent beers made with lactose, and you guys are schooling me on on this. Uh, What's going on? But I did reference, you know, candied sugar and, and classic Belgians too, because the same thing is like getting the alcohol at ten percent and uh, people enjoying it and not realizing they're drinking a ten percent beer. I mean, I, I, there's good beers at ten percent that I might drink like a six percent beer. So yeah, I think a lot of it's about deception, right? Like you're trying to like make something strong enough that people don't realize they're getting themselves all whacked. You know, right. what I mean? like yeah, yeah you know, so. and you know, it's it's also people will come into the to the bar and say give me your strongest beer. 
So for us, sometimes getting to that point in the past, having a high ABV beer can be drying or can have a little bit of alcohol warmth. And the experience could be a turn off if you just focus on alcohol. But adding these things um, like you know, lactose or even the, the uh, Belgian candy syrups helps, again, cut that burn and that, that dryness. Jesse, do you have the Yoplait beer too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's try yeah, to taste sure. that one. Let's, let's yeah. taste that one next. And, um, you know, Matt, for you, uh, you know, over at Coney Island Beer, um, is, it, that's, is that an experimental brewery? I mean, you guys are what, 10, 10 barrel system in, yeah, I mean, in my, Coney Island? Yeah, it's 10 barrel system. Um, you know, my main role is to, to brew uh, new and different things, um, you know, tying into the Coney Island, you know, culture of being wacky and kind of off the wall. Um, that's usually where I try to focus my creativity, um, make things that are different and weird. Um, if, if you talk to any German, uh, resident or brewer, uh, especially brewer and said that, you know, I had added lactose to a Kolsch, they'd probably die right away. Let's just keel over and die. They just sue you. Uh, yeah, like, that's <laughs> against you're not allowed to do that. Uh, so, uh, but you know, I do so with respect. Um, you know, I try to, I try to keep, things wacky and creative without straying too far from the path. I think that's uh, a really important thing uh, to kind of pay homage to the the beers that, you know, the way they were meant to be. Uh, but it's, I think it's also uh, tying into what Jesse said earlier, you know, it's, it's part of innovation and it's a, it truly is a, you know, consumer based uh, business that we're in. So it's, if the consumer wants, you know, crazy lactose beers, and IPAs, uh, you know, we'll make them. Um, but, I think uh, having a, a whole spectrum of those things is important. You know, having some classic styles, having some crazy styles, uh, and that's kind of what we do down at Coney Island. And also, I know that these two guys do here as well. Well, it's always about change. I mean, ten years ago, I remember getting presented with, "Oh, we we have an Imperial IPA on draft, and we want you also serve that in cask the same night." <laughs> you know, that sounded crazy then, but that didn't last. And Jesse, this next beer you'll play. Yeah, so this was a, um, a collaboration with uh, Bunker out of Maine, and um, we had gone up to Maine and made a imperial stout with blueberries and and maple, fresh like this year's maple syrup. Creston and Bunker. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, Creston. Yeah. Hey, Creston. And uh, yeah, what up, man? He's really um, lis- he is listening. Yeah. Um, so we so we were gonna like ah oh, we're gonna reciprocate. Have you come down? We'll brew something. I was like, well, let's brew a you know sour IPA with the same ingredients um, since that's sort of what's happening in New York right now um, to some degree. Um, so he brought down, I think it was two hundred pounds of blueberries Whoa. and ten gallons. So that's like one hundred and twenty pounds in of maple syrup. Truck, right? No, he, yeah, almost. I, he, he he called me the last minute. He's like, actually, this isn't going to fit in my truck. We're going to have to ship it. <laughs> um, and then what we did was um, we pulled like a third of the wort um, pre-boil and then pitched uh, lactobacillus into that, let that sour, then pasteurize that. Meanwhile, we had the other two-thirds fermenting with sac- with sacrament brewer's yeast, um, and then the – and then. Once and then we pasteurized the lactobacillus, so that's what's you know the kettle sour, the classic kettle sour flavor. So we made like a very lactic acid forward portion of the beer, fermented it with brewer's yeast, and then when they were both done, blended it back into what we have here. So this ended up being a you know partially sour, partially kettle soured um, blueberry and maple dry hopped, double dry hopped. Um, IPA, which we 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 sold it as like the part of the Breakfast Champion series. So mm. it's the same idea where it's going for like it's funny because yours is the French toast and like yours is like the Bippa. Um, and I think it's, yours it's, is it's, a, it's a, what's that? It's I think sugar. yours is more like if you have pancakes with fruit and maple syrup on it. That's yeah. kind of what I get out of it. Yeah. But, but it's not cloying. Though. This like, it's the not sweetness sweet. the sweetness didn't come through as much as. I mean, this is where I wanted it to be. I feel like in terms of the style at this point, I mean, if this is a new style that I feel like, and, it, and there are some fro- forerunners of the style, they're, they're sweeter than this, right? Yeah. Like they're, they've got a, a terminal gravity or a perceptual sweetness that's way higher than this. So this one finished pretty dry, and which is where I wanted it to yeah, be. And, I, and I, I like this one. Of, I, I like to finish this dry. Yeah, I mean, I like yeah. dry beer. I mean, yeah. you could talk to the guys who work for me. It's like, I like dry and bitter. You know, like, it's hard for me to purposely make sweet beer 
because I just can't drink a lot of sweet beer, and I like to drink. Yeah, th- this is one that finishes dry. And Sean, for you, like, you know, as, as a brewer, you you guys are always learning. I mean, I can't believe it, the different ingredients that are being you know used and, and collaborations. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, you know, for us especially being new and also uh, using a direct fire system with no HLT, we use two hot water on demand heaters. Uh, we have to be really scrappy with when we uh, brew our beers. Um, and it's forced us to sort of want to play around with these more modern styles because it's like, well, how do we make it work with in the absence of certain equipment? And, um, you know, and it's funny just to backtrack a little bit with the yo play. I'm assuming that's a play on the yogurt. Yo play. Yeah. So the idea was like, you, were, you know, we, the label and everything was meant to be, you know, it's the Dan and label, but it's yo play is the name. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's like, I'm just waiting for the seat and cease and desist. <laughs> Lactobacillus. You is, brought it up. I didn't bring yeah, it up. No, that's yeah, a funny that's thing. We, were gonna, we, we <clears throat> joked about how we were going to like claim that we just used yogurt to, to, but I would never, I've had too many bad experiences doing with, that with not yogurt, but with trying to do like grain, mm-hmm. you know, where you just throw a pound of grain into sour yeah. a batch where it, Yes, it's too many un undeterminables. Yeah, so I yeah, order, I order like no fresh control. pitches of lactobacillus from yeast labs where I know it's pure, and I yeah. put it in a fermenter and I let it you know yeah. sit there. Um, I don't even do. I'm hesitant to even do it at the kettle at this point because I've had heard stories about stuff coming back down the stack, and that's what infects things. Yeah, we the, we have to make sure we take serious precautions because we kettle sour our beers, and for those same reasons, uh, we you know we we. I mean, we pre-acidify our wort to make sure that certain, um, you know, uh, nasties aren't growing. You know, we don't get any butyric acid in our kettles. Yeah, um, I mean, that's, and that, you got to dump it. I mean, this yeah, whole exactly. time, the whole time I was it making worried. this beer, I was kept telling everybody, Creston and my whole brew team, like, if that seven barrels gets anywhere sulfur or butyric, we're just dumping it, and then we've got a blueberry maple double IPA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's actually a good way of and looking at how, it. Yeah. That's how we'll have it, you yeah. know. I will say, you know, I eat yogurt every morning, and there is a sort of tartness, especially for yogurt that might, you know, uh, have sat in your uh, fridge for like a week, and you get that sensation on this, and I like that. So it kind of, you know, the the name and kind of tying it in with the yogurt thing, it's it, it actually works really well. Thank you. It's man. really well yeah. done, man. Thanks. Really well done. And I, and I like the dry finish, Jesse. I'm, I'm a big fan of your beers. Thank you. Agreed. Yeah. So what else is new with you? I haven't seen you in a while. I'm going to j- jump back to Jesse. Mad fat fluid and. Uh, you guys got canned gin and tonics as well, right? Yeah, we're working on putting, trying to push the cocktails and the spirits program and um, canning beer. We got selling beer in New Jersey now. So, um, other than that, just trying to make you know these are just trying to keep up, man. It's like you got to have a new double IPA every two weeks in order to well, keep. I know it's very competitive, store. and and you know you guys are just at Matt. You were there also the Craft Brewers Conference in Nashville. It was funny seeing people post photos of Miller High Life. <laughs> um, you know, is everyone making the same kind of beer now? Is everyone making no. hazy IPAs, or you, is there no. a lot, lot of things going on? No, I think uh, you know I can't speak for everyone, but you know, from the large majority of people that I've spoken to, uh, I think everybody has at least. We mean one. like the five thousand brewers that were. Yeah, sure. Uh, craft brewers. Conference. Yeah, I try to make my rounds, but that's too many. Um, from the large majority of people that I spoke to, everybody's got at least one hazy IPA, right? Or maybe two or three. Some people hang their hat on that. But as spoken before, I mean, it's it's a consumer-based industry. So if people want hazy IPAs, you're, you're going to have one or two available, right? But a lot of us, I know a large majority of the brewers um, still hang their hat on traditional styles um, and different weird things, too. Um, you know, it really all depends on where the brewery's at, what their drinker looks like, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it varies from not even state to state, but city to city. It's, it's kind of crazy. So like on that note, like each of your breweries, what is the style that's moving the most in terms of volume? Uh, for, for us down in Coney Island, uh, it's pretty easy. Um, this time of year, well, getting into this time of year, uh, we're a big tourist area. So our mermaid pills in ourselves phenomenally. It's a really approachable beer. Nothing too crazy. Uh, our Merman IPA, which is uh, new as of a couple months ago, sells well as well. Those are our two biggest sellers. But outside of that, the last couple of weeks, uh, Cinnamon Toast Coast has just been number one. Wow, that's cool. cool. Yeah, that's cool. What about you, Sean? Uh, it's always a double IPA. So we have uh, With Wild Abandon up right now that's doing really well. And, um, you know, in the past, um, we've had uh, a few other double IPAs that, you know, I'm drawing a blank right now on in regards to names. But, uh, that does well. And then the sours, actually. So um, they gave me, gave me blackberry peach, which we just canned a few weeks ago and released to market. And the pineapple mango are doing really well. Um, 
in the tap room. Great. Let, let's pour your second beer, Sean, so we have that. Sure. And Jesse, what about for you in terms of what's moving? I know everything's moving, but I, I, no, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say at the moment we've got three different lager beers on, and uh, in, in in two weeks we'll have four different lager beers on, and so you know, I'm I wish those sold more. The IPAs are what's selling. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm definitely into the idea of pushing fruited sours. I'm, I'm, I'm a little gun shy on the kettle sour stuff. I've just had too many experiences where they didn't turn quite, out, you know, turn out quite the way I wanted them to. But my brew team at this point is super eager to do that. Um, so we're gonna try and we're gonna do another yo play. We're gonna do like a, a peach yo play. I'm trying to get Georgia peaches and and do a, a peach yo play. Georgia and, peaches. And then we're gonna try and save that lacto culture and do a uh, a fruited sour. I mean, I try to like take my total brew volume and then split off into these like I've got these smaller fermenters um, that hold you know like eight hundred to a thousand liters, um, and then do little side projects with base wort that would be an IPA or something like that and then sour it or add fruit to it. We're about to do a wit beer. Because, you know, like Matt was saying, it's like you want to be able to, when somebody walks in the brewery, even if they're there for the IPAs, you want to be able to show them that there's a spectrum of beers and that, and that you're, you know, and it's like and it's what I want to drink and what my crew wants to drink. Um, and also there's plenty of people come either who aren't there for the IPAs or who come with the people who are there for the IPAs who really aren't, you know, on that wagon yet. Um, they may learn to be, it might be mine's the first, it might be Sean's the first, it might be Matt's the first IPA that really turns them on to IPAs. And then they might jump on it because it's increasingly, I think, what's driving. Um, and, you know, I think, what would what, they say at the, the CBC? It was something like wheat beer is the number one and then IPA is like right after that. And he figures Shock Top and Blue Moon and mm, you know, sure. those, those are the wheat beers that are number one. But after that, for most small producers, it's IPA. So um, I do like having lager, stout. I'm about to do a Saison, about to do a wit, stuff like that that, you know, just sort of rounds out. People order flights at my brewery a lot. And, you know, you want to be able to offer, you know, it's fine. You come to the spot, let's have, have the IPAs flight if you want but you could also have this other flight where there's one ipa and three other beers and you know you learned about it yeah we we have um oh go ahead i'm sorry sean just quick uh what is yeah. this beer? Uh, so i just poured you guys a gimme gimme pineapple mango uh it's our uh, uh sour with lactose um and actually sort of contrasting what jesse had mentioned earlier this did finish sweeter uh than some of our other um Sours in the past, our our dessert sour series does finish a little bit higher for that reason. That's tasty, so, though. Thank you. Great. Hey, guys, we'll take one more break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Check us out, Heritage Radio Network.org, become a member. And that's all we're going to say about it. So uh, we love this network. We love being in the back of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick. And uh, so Sean Torres, Killsborough, Staten Island, we're drinking this pineapple mango. Uh, gimme, gimme, yeah. Lactose beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's this again, you know, our, our approach with this is, uh, you know, our patrons, uh, a lot of them are new to craft beer. So we want to be able to provide them not only the beers that we enjoy brewing, but beers we think will introduce them to other beers, similar to what we were just discussing a minute ago. And uh, this is actually our fastest-selling uh, beer, uh, at least wholesale. Uh, and um, at the bar, it does really well. And again, the idea is, you know, the, the tart's there, but the finish is a little bit sweeter, which allows them to kind of enjoy it a little bit longer. So, Yeah, I kind of get it like a, you know, if you buy like a, 
tub of pineapple from the store that's already cored and peeled and you eat it with a you know a fork uh the juice that's left at the bottom that's kind of what i get here uh, yeah and it's really it's really good yeah and you know the mangoes like when we do these uh fruited sours we try to pick one um loud fruit and a subtle fruit um blackberry peach blackberry is loud peach is sort of more subtle uh same thing with the pineapple mango pineapple kind of takes the the front stage and the mangoes sort of in the background uh, and we uh, we ferment it out a little bit in the in the fermenter. Uh, we keep the, our temperatures low when we're recirculating it, so uh, it does um, you know so that when we do can like the blackberry peach, they're not exploding like refermenting in the yeah. cans. And um, and the lactose keeps it again the the finishing gravity high enough so that it's not um, too dry. We have a um, a few sours on tap right now that finish dry, and that's a preference of mine. You know usually. But again, it's it's an it's a gateway beer for a lot of people. Well, I've so. got some. I've got a couple of friends who made mango beers that ended up being disasters because the mango, when it fermented out, was just so bitter. You yeah. Know? And and I think that's like I think getting back to one of the themes here is that that in 2018, there's definitely a massive drive to push more and more fruit into beer. I mean, and, and what you're doing, I think, is awesome to do blends. I mean, I think, it, you know, it, it, you're, you're showing like blackberry peach is not something that there's a juice out there that you could be like, oh, it's my favorite blackberry peach yeah. snapple. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, but then if you let those things dry out, if you let the sack really go to town on them, then they're then you're left with just, I mean, you know, if something finishes with less than two Play-Doh of, sh- of sugar in it, then you've got alcohol and you know, whatever bitterness is, is being contributed by the hops and the fruit. Exactly, yeah. And nothing to round out the mouthfeel. And I, I think, you know, again, we should go back to what Matt was saying earlier in terms of, like, it's not sweetness necessarily, but it is per- but it is perceived, perceived sweet. Yeah, it's it's per- it seems so silly to say that, but I know, it really but, is. Yeah. But well, the yeah. malt is what's giving the sweetness, and then it's, and then the mouthfeel and, and the, is, it be, is highlighting the fruit. Matt, let's, let's try one. But wait, I have one beers. question. Does that have vanilla in it? It does have vanilla, yeah, yeah, and yeah. thank you for mentioning. Yeah, that, because I think vanilla that. is a real key, and you know that's why I was like saying with you, with the, the with not you, with Matt, with the the Kolsch, like a vanilla version of that might be really cool because yeah. like it would just vanilla makes all these flavors pop that yeah. much more in a lot of cases. It's sort of it's like a bonding agent; it really pulls them together. Yeah, Augie yeah. Carton used to call vanilla like the salt of sweet, you know, where it's like where you use salt to make like food taste savory and like just better and like yep. vanilla in dessert is like kind of like this thing that's like all right it makes any fruit be- taste better any chocolate tastes better any caramel tastes better yeah. yeah and i think diving into what you said before about more and more fruit being driven into beer um i think that a lot of that and this i have no data to back this up but from my personal uh perspective from what i've noticed is a lot of uh, people that drink sangria or uh, Moscato, those sweet wine drinkers that say they don't like beer, are finding out quickly that beer can be approachable for them as well. Um, you know, the, that person that would normally drink sangria at a bar is now kind of shifting towards these fruited lactose IPAs or fruited IPAs uh, or, you know, any of that kind of thing. Uh, and I think it, it really is it's, it's making a big impact on the beer world. Um, and, uh, you know, millennials in general are looking for what's trendy and hot, and that's kind of the new thing. Yeah, it feels like sweetness in general is just like what's driving yeah. a lot yeah. of these beers. And it starts, I think it starts with the whole sort of Northeast-style hazy IPA, and then, I mean, you know, and I would honestly say I think one reason might also be that, like, some of these beers that are super hazy are yeast-heavy, too, and yeast is bitter, so if you're going to give it more, if you're going to give it more perceptible sweetness, then you're going to drive down the perceptible bitterness but that could also just be hot bitterness too. I mean, it doesn't have to be hot, you know, yeast bitterness. But there is this, you know, glaring elephant in the room that these beers are all hazy, and so there is, for the most part. And I know there's people who would have take issue with me saying there's yeast still in the beers, but for the most part, there's still yeast in the beers. For, for the flavors you're talking about, does that beer have to be hazy? No, no, no like, absolutely no, not. No, no, no. Um, Matt's beer is totally not. Kolsch, it's, it's got. I mean, for a Kolsch, it's insanely hazy. But uh, yeah, but for compared a Kolsch, to an IPA, yeah. uh, it's not hazy at all. Um, and I think that's lactose doesn't really add much haze to beer. Uh, no, I like, don't think lactose has any. Yeah, haze. so um, you know, I don't think lactose beers are need to be hazy. Uh, they tend to be hazy based off of the styles that have become popular. But you could, like Jesse joked about before, you could put lactose in a pilsner. Uh, and you know it, it wouldn't be hazy. Well, and the, and like the coffee, the the, the carton, uh, 
regular the different coffee, coffee varieties, yeah. but the regular coffee that was regular crisp, milk? that was yeah. regular that was I mean, crystal clear. You know, what I mean, that, you know, it was a eleven percent cream ale, which meant it was basically one hundred percent pilsner malt, and then lactose and tons of coffee. Yeah, but I, th- I think uh, you know visuals are important for for when you're designing a beer and brewing a beer, and it just so happens that the haziness, for whatever reason, to most consumers connotes. This sort of juicy flavor experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Good that's point, and that's fine, you know. Like yep. uh, you know, I, I've heard a lot of brewers vent about the fact that they're forced to brew p- particular styles, and my r- response to them is always, make it your own. Yep. You know, if that's what your consumers are buying, and that's what's driving your business to continue brewing beer, you know, th- it's that's okay. Just find a way to make it your own, and you know, you'll you'll love brewing those styles again. And so I think it's twofold too, and it ties into what you said about you know perception. Um, number one, obviously, people the hazy beers are the thing right now. So when I made the cinnamon toast kolsch, uh, I was originally going to filter it, make it crystal clear like a regular kolsch. Um, but it was twofold. Number one, I knew uh, people like hazy beers, but actually, more importantly, um, I knew that this is a, it's a cereal beer. I mean, that's what I was going after, right? Uh, so I kind of wanted to leave that impression of milk at the bottom of the bowl. Um, and you can't get that with crystal clear beer. Uh, that was my main driver behind not filtering it, but, um, perception is huge. Uh, and the way you look at a beer, I mean, you, you see things before you taste them and 70%. You know, when I was a kid, I drank my, had my cereal dry. I would only eat it with chocolate milk. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell my son that. Cause he, I can barely get him to put milk in his cereal, but don't let him put chocolate milk in it. You guys, this is, this show is blowing my mind. You know, talking about different styles and, and sugars and stuff, oh, it's pretty wild. Sorry. I mean, I think, Jesse, you actually uh, had the quote of the show, and I'm just going to say it so we can post it online, but it said 2018 is, is what? It's like it's the massive drive to put fruit in a beer. It sounds like you're going to be the keynote speaker at Craft Brewers Conference oh, no, next no, year. No, 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 no. Is that the kind of stuff they talk about at the conference? Or this is just what your takeaway is from uh, what you're doing? They talk about a ton of things. Um, and I think one of the coolest things that ties into what we talked about earlier, uh, I was at a dry hopping uh, seminar. Uh, which I missed that one, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I expected it to be all about how to make your beers super dank and you know all these things, but it wasn't. It was more about what appropriate levels of dry hopping are, the bell curve that you know happens with the amount of hops you put in. Some breweries are, are using like 11 pounds per barrel. Uh, but anyway... The, the coolest thing I took away from it is there was a gentleman from Belgium who was part of this, and he was talking about um, what he brews for his brewers, and uh, it's become one of their most popular beers is a sessionable beer that is like 3%. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm curious to see kind of where the American uh, version of this goes to, but uh, it just goes to show you what trends do. Uh, and, and the beer world is a very trendy world, uh, and... In Belgium, at his brewery, his top-selling beer is three percent, and they originally had only brewed it for for them to drink, which I thought was crazy. Beer is fashionable now. That's really what it is, and I think that's the reason why its trends are driving, you know, uh, sales. Which is again, it's, it, there's like I mentioned earlier, there's not really anything wrong with that necessarily, but you know, especially in New York City, which is a, f- I mean, fashion-forward, um, you know, capital of the world, uh, trends and sort of placating your consumer is something that you have to take into consideration. Hey, I'd be more than happy to come back and do a show, <laughs> excuse me, all about Pilsner and lager and, yes. and just bring cans of Pilsner and lager and talk about how drinkable it is. And We're how, doing it, and, Justin. And, and I how, think just the end of subtle, June, how about that? And how <laughs> subtle, you know, and how it's like almost impossible to, it's almost yeah, to tell them apart. And you know D- what David I mean? likes and like, that too. David wants a Pilsner. Yeah, I, I think that you know, like where we're at right now with these lo- with these lactose beers and these fruited lactose beers is we're definitely at one of the extreme ends of the amount of flavor you can possibly put into. It's kind of like beer, the Roman Empire, know? the decay and, and leading to well, decadence. Well, don't try and make it sound like. I mean, you know, it's like it's not <laughs> necessarily the empire will collapse. That makes it sound moral. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not a moral thing. It's just taste. You know, it's just beer. You know, so I mean, I try to. Even when I'm sound like a snob about Pilsner, I'm like, well, it's just beer. There's no, you know, what are you gonna do? It's like we were out talking to Brandon. Like, what are you gonna drink? Butter Miller, you know? Like, they t- both taste good in the right in the right place at the right yeah. time. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and our second highest selling beer right now is a Kolsch, which is a, our sort of quote unquote Pilsner right now because we don't have the the tanks to lager and spend that mi- amount of time lagering a beer. So, you know, I think there's, there is a sway. It's, there is that really light and sort of complexity back and forth going on. Yeah, I think, um, 
Matt's on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think that uh, that's true. It rains true 100%. I think most brewers will tell you that uh, they'd rather drink a Pilsner or uh, a traditional style. But also with that, you know, with with without change comes death, right? Um, and I think it's important. Um, I learned pretty quickly that you can get out talked about IPAs and things like that from just a general drinker these days if you don't do your homework. Um, and while we may not have grown up on that and, you know, that kind of thing, if you don't, if you don't stay with the times, you're going to be, you're going to be dead in the water pretty quick. So, you know, what I find interesting too is, you know, when I'm brewing, I order the Kolsch or order the cream ale, something light, but most of the time people in the industry, when they see them, hang out with them, meet them for the first time and they're bringing beer, it's one of the modern crazy styles. That's what you're sharing. Like this is a new experience. So you know, I, I think secretly everybody wants that. They want something that's really light and balanced and something that they can, they can enjoy, you know, unhithered. And the other part of it is sometimes you just want to be smacked in the face with something different. And my, my historical perspective is that whatever you guys think is new 500 years ago, we don't even know what they were making. And they were probably putting together crazier combinations than you have any idea. Jesse, <laughs> what are we drinking right now? This one's pretty cool. Oh, this is the Intoxicated Demons. This is uh, this was canned today. This is canned like three hours ago. So It's another, it's a dry finish. Yeah, it's got a dry finish. It has lactose in it, but it's 10% alcohol, so it probably doesn't have enough lactose in it to be <laughs> as sweet as people want it to be. But, um, you know, it's uh, uh, Citra, Vic Secret, Enigma, and there's Denali in there too. And... Um, lactose and then we actually sort of instead of we double dry hopped it and then we put hop oils in it in in addition and recirculated hop oils um from uh, is that a new thing hop oils i think hop oils extracted hop oils or i don't know hop oils have been around forever it's just like the just like the the lupulin pellets like that's that's been around forever actually and, and and what's happening is because people are trying to figure out how to put more and more hops in the hop companies are responding by saying here we have all these products which one do you like you know what i mean so it's like whether you want extract oils you know co2 oils vacuum distilled oils um uh you know sort of the the t45 hop instead of the t95 hop i mean that and, and so so basically taking like the lupulin powder movement is sort of like saying like well we'll take the although it's different than what I'm described, but it's basically saying like we'll take the the pulverized hop and we'll pack it into a less compact pellet, and so it'll dissolve faster mm. in your beer. Although the, the the cryo stuff is technically what they're claiming is that that it's more of the it's high, well then they're technically claiming it has a higher oil content, so it's less vegetal matter and more. So I mean we use a ton of it, and and, and so. But yeah, I think all brewers are just trying to figure out how to get more hops into their beer. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think uh, that's said perfectly. I think a lot of it goes into, you know, uh, we've never really had a, a reason to kind of investigate further what a hop can do. Um, I mean, you look at it like kind of like the gas engine, right? I mean, they, they invented the car. It was great. Uh, it served us a purpose for a long time. And now all of a sudden we're learning that it's, it's bad for the environment. So we're creating electric cars and doing and we're changing and evolving. It's a terrible analogy, but uh, what we're finding with <laughs> what we're finding with hops. And there's bicycles. <laughs> we've had hops around for you know thousands of years in beer, right? Uh, but now we're learning, you know, what we can really do with them, um, and taking it to that next level uh, to increase the experience. So, not very much like a gas engine at all. <laughs> <laughs> I love the analogy. That's good. <laughs> so you, I know you studied at Siebel and. You got some background as a brewer, a home brewer, but what did you study? Are you like scientist too or something? No, I uh, I started in the world uh, as a as a prep cook at fifteen. Worked my way up through the ranks and was an assistant chef for a while. Uh, fell out of love with food and in love with beer. Uh, they're pretty much the same. A lot of I mean, we're talking about lactose it exists in milk. You use that for cooking. Many of the malts that we use, we use uh, we named after food. Uh, so it seemed like a good fit. So I got into brewing, home brewed for a better part of eight to 10 years. And then, you know, kind of made my transition to the uh, brewer world. And Sean Torres over there, man. Yeah. No, I'm just, uh, I, it's funny that coming with a background as a chef, um, you know, I find a lot of great brewers are cooks um, because taste is aside from science and process is part of, um, you know, one of the more important characteristics of a brewer. And uh, you said something earlier too. Um, it escapes me. Uh, word for word at the moment but it's it's just this idea of visualizing your beer before you drink it is sort of the in my opinion the most important first step 
of making a beer. And understanding now that you're a cook kind of makes sense because you have to visualize it. You have to taste it before you even pick your ingredients and your process and figure out what you can do to, to extract those flavors and balance the way you're picturing it in your head. Cool. High five, everybody. <laughs> this is cool. I also want to say big shout out to the guys. Thanks for coming on. And uh, Matt and your crew, thanks for suggesting this as a topic for the show. And Justin, we're going to have Jesse and whole crew back on Talk About Pilsners probably in June. But I want to say you guys went out to the Craft Brewers Conference. We didn't get to talk about that, but a lot of people are talking about it. But Jesse, at your place now. So Interborough, leaving here now, you're going to what? A gathering? Oh, straight of- back to my brewery. We're having the um, New York City yeah, uh, Brewers Guild meeting. Home Brewers Guild? No, Brewers, Brewers Guild. Guild. Yeah. Brewers Guild. And then after that's industry night. So, but, so the, the, the New York City Brewers Guild, you guys are really that active. So was it we every meet monthly. month? We meet monthly. You're rotating and- amongst breweries. Yeah, and we have like you know the idea being that we, it's it's a it's a guild, right? It's an organization that's a non for profit that is designed to in order to solve problems on a you know to to provide you know sort of uh, whatever the word for it is like mass negotiating skill power yeah. or whatever so that we can tackle like, any kind of issues as a group. You but know? I think primarily well, I, primarily the New York City Brewers Guild is a marketing engine, right? So that we can like try and push forward New York City beer and New York City Beer Week and, you know, sort of promote all the breweries that are involved and raise each other up. Yep. You know, rising tides, raise all ships sort of idea. So that's cool. So tonight I should go over to uh, Inderborough. Yeah, we're going to be... Not too far from here. Yeah, and anybody listening, we're not serving $3 12-ounce glasses of beer. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but yeah. if you work in the industry, we are. <laughs> I, I completely forgot that I think we're hosting next month, so we have to figure out. How are we, what, what we're going to offer you This guys. is our first time hosting it, and, and like halfway through the day, we were like, oh, we're canning, and there's no room to put anyone. This <laughs> is business first, man. Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, it's all interesting, but you guys are great, and let's go around the room one more time. Everyone say their name and the brewery they're part of. Yeah, Sean Torres, uh, Killsborough Brewing Company. Matt McCall, Coney Island Brewery. Jesse Ferguson, Interborough Spirits and Ales. I want to thank you guys for coming out. This is actually in our ninth year of Beer Sessions Radio. Big thanks to all of you, brewers and and bar guys and industry and Heritage Radio Network for keeping us going. Thanks, Jimmy. It's your show. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you thanks know, for having us. Let's keep it going. And big shout out to uh, engineer David Tattashore, producer Justin Kennedy. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks for joining us. Catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah, all right. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.